Good morning, everybody. I hope you all are ready to get started this morning. Go ahead and stand and join us. We're going to start out with some singing.
Well, good morning. It's the first Sunday of the month, so this is part of our service where we like to take time and just uh, set it aside uh, to do communion. If you're new and uh, this is something that is new for you, you are welcome to participate. You don't have, we don't, like, this is not like a membership thing. I'm not going to put it in your mouth or anything like that. You're, you can go find, go to the, your own booth. There's four of them, and you can find a spot. We, we prayed a lot about and thought a lot about if, like, how we do this and why we do this and if we should do this. And the reason is this. When it comes to things like this, people who are interested in religion love the traditions associated with religion. And so religion becomes just this mindless activity of things that we do because it's what we've always done. So if you really thought about it and I said, we're going to do communion, you'd be like, okay, and probably wouldn't think twice about it. You'd go through the motions, sit here, listen to the songs, finish, and it would be done. But here's the thing, as we've really prayed about whether or not this is, this is how we want to do the first Sunday of every month uh, to really take time for this, is because we really believe that it's important to remember. Scripture says it this way in Luke. This is what it says. Luke 22, 19 and 20 says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, I've been talking a lot recently when I've been preaching about the fact that what, one of the things that I love most about our faith is we sit and stand today because of an event, not an idea, not a theology that like I feel like I believe in God today. It is a physical event with a physical man who physically died and rose again and showed himself to so many people that it actually took over the entire Roman nation and completely converted, becoming the number one form of worship. What we worship is a God who is not passive, uninvolved, disinterested. We serve a God who Jesus says it's that this is a new covenant. This is significant. Do you realize that covenants are things that had to be done with blood? Every covenant that's, that's intended is done, uh, the, the way that it's solidified is through blood. The Old Testament meant that there were sacrifices that had to be made. Every time we sinned, something had to die for that. This is something we're so far removed from. We, we're, you know, we're in the era of like God's grace and it's good and it's everything's fine. And, and yes, God is good and everything is good. But there is, there is still a very real disconnection that takes place when we choose to go about things our own way and God is inviting us into relationship and he says, I am going to be the final sacrifice once and for all. The good news is this morning, folks, we're not talking about a cool idea or a cool theology that maybe you feel like you enjoy and maybe you don't. We're talking about facts this morning. We are talking about facts. This happened. These events took place. And we now stand in what we call a church, which really isn't a, a place at all. It's a group of people that come together to worship the one true God. And that's what we have the opportunity to do here today. What we are here to do is to remember. Can I encourage you? This is not just a general go through the motions thing. Through the next two songs, take your time. But at some point, find your way to one of the four stations. Grab a wafer, grab a cup, bring it back to your seat. And remember, not what God has done for us in general, not what God has done, you know, for the whole of history. What has God done in you? Because that is what stirs worship. As a result of that, 
there will be an overflow that as we sing, you can't help but honor God and want to give him the glory and the praise because it is, it is an overflow of a grateful heart. We don't worship because we all have great voices. We don't worship because, you know, it's the cool thing to do. We worship because our God is worthy of it. So here's what we're here to do this morning. Can I pray over you? And then we're going to continue our time of singing. God, I thank you so much that we have a foundation and a faith that is centered on you, Jesus. The author and completer of our faith, the finisher. God, we have the opportunity to walk in confidence, boldly, that as we take the cup and as we take this wafer, we are reminded that you sacrificed everything so that we can come before you freely, no guilt, no shame, that we can offer those things to you and you wipe them clean. We don't have to sacrifice animals today to be right with you. We don't have to be good enough to be right with you. We just have to surrender. So Father, I pray that this worship moment, that we would just engage with you, that it would transform our hearts as we remember who you are and what you do. Thank you for being with us. In your name we pray. Amen.
song and the main chorus of the song just simply says you're bigger than I thought you were you're bigger than I thought and I think each of us need that reminder that God is bigger than what you came in with this morning he's bigger than the stresses he's bigger than your financial issues he's bigger than the prognosis he's bigger than the fear or the shame or anything that else that you came in with this morning he's bigger so we're gonna worship the God who is bigger than we thought he was Let's engage him. Speak to me when the silence steals my voice. You understand me. You understand me. Come to me in the valley of unknowns. You understand me. You understand me, you understand me, God, you understand me. So I throw all my cares before you, my doubts and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were, you're bigger than I thought. So I stop on the go. 
with the God of all creation. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought. Yeah. Only love. You're bigger than I thought. Yeah. And I believe, but help my unbelief. Understand me, do you understand me? Help me reach the faith that's underneath. You understand me, do you understand me? Do you understand me, God? You understand me. So I throw all my cares before you, my doubts and fears don't scare you, you're bigger than I thought you were, you're bigger than I thought, so I stop all negotiations with the God of all creation, you're bigger than I thought you were, you're bigger Father's hands, leave the rest in the Father's hands. Oh, I will rest. Come on, in the Father's hands. Oh, you will rest. Leave the rest in the Father's hands. Oh, I will rest.
leave the rest in the Father's hand. I will rest in the Father's hands. Oh, leave the rest in the Father's hands. So I throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I thought. So I stop all negotiations with the God of all creations. You're bigger than I thought you were. You're bigger than I God, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship and come and meet you. God, thank you for encountering us here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning, Journey. My name is Shelly, and I'm a volunteer here at Journey. I usually serve in kids' church, but this morning I have the privilege of bringing the giving message, and I wanted to share um, an example of generosity. Giving isn't just about money, um, and so I wanted to highlight a ministry that takes place behind the scenes. Um, every couple months, a team of about 15 people serve at Grace Resource Center. They provide dinner, they do the dishes, um, and they're just friendly and kind to the homeless at Grace Resource. And it has zero to do with money, and it has everything to do with the heart of Jesus and the desire to um, follow his example. Jesus didn't um, follow the norm. He didn't do the comfortable. Um, he sat with the, the outsiders, what people would consider the outcasts. And our team provides that same kind of compassion to the people at Grace Resource beyond just the practical, I don't know, need of a meal. Um, but on a more human level, the the kindness of a smile, a touch of a hand, sharing a laugh with someone. When I asked the team why they serve, the overlying message I got was just to be of help, um, not to be seen, and not to do it just because it's, you know, someone told them to do it, or because it was a duty, but because they wanted to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to serve those um, who need it most, um, like I said, giving isn't just about money. Sure, we can put money in the bucket, and I want to encourage you to do that because let's face it, everything costs money. Everything that happens here, um, the air conditioner that isn't working costs money. <laughs> it's a little warm up here. Um, and so my point is that we can, we can do more than just drop money in the bucket. We can serve in a way that makes a real impact in the community. And so I wanted to just kind of highlight them and honor them. Um, they don't want to be seen, so I'm not going to make anybody stand up. But um, if you would be interested in serving that way, I would encourage you to go to the hot spot um, afterwards and just talk to the ladies, because probably one of them that serves is also behind the scenes over there. As the ushers come forward, I'd like to pray.
over the offering and over that team that serves at Grace Resource. Father God, thank you for the team that serves at Grace Resource, Lord. Thank you for their heart of generosity and their desire to be like you, to serve in a way um, that just provides a real need, a compassionate need, a smile, a handshake, God, um, just a conversation that someone may need. I pray that you would speak to the people that are here today, Lord, um, and if they have a desire to to serve in that way, Lord, I would ask that you prompt them to do so. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Tyler has the announcements for you this morning. I don't know if I mentioned it, but before I step off the stage, the next opportunity to serve at Grace Resource is September 25th. If you're interested in doing that, please go see the ladies at the hotspot. Awesome, thank you, Shelly. Well, we got a couple things going on. This is a season of new stuff, so I got a couple exciting things to share with you. The first is we have our women's night, our girls' night out, and it is a comedy night uh, for, for our ladies to get together from seven to nine o'clock. You can buy tickets at the hotspot or online, or you can buy them the night of, but I will warn you, they go from $15 to 20 bucks if you get them at the door the night of. Gonna be a great night. You don't wanna miss it, so be a part of that. The next thing is also, oh, I'm so sorry. I did this last service. Fifth and sixth graders, you are dismissed. I completely forgot last service and Brian was like, can you please make sure to announce that? Fifth and sixth, you are dismissed to go to your classroom. I jumped straight into it. The other thing I completely missed is if you're new today, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Look, man. We have a gift for you at the hot spot. We want you to know we are so happy that you're here. So if you are new and this is your first time, stop by the hotspot, which is right out these doors and to the right that way. And uh, you can get uh, your gifts as you leave this morning. The other thing that I was jumping into is that Mops is kicking back off. This is our Moms on Purpose group. And they're kicking off with a, um, a barbecue on Saturday morning, August 17th at 10 a.m. Uh, it's going to be at Cassandra's house, one of the leaders here. So if you want to go get more information at the hotspot, you can do that there. The last and final thing is the crash is about to start back up. I made that announcement first service, and there, it literally was just like, I was like, all right, second service, people are going to be excited because none of the youth kids come first service, so it's fine. But we do have the crash starting back off, and it's important to know that they're starting on a brand new day. We are moving to Wednesdays, and it's starting August 21st, 6.30 to 8.30. But the first couple weeks, they're gonna be doing some cool things at the park. Um, so you're gonna wanna know about the locations and all the things that are going on with the crash. The leaders are heading off today on a retreat to get centered, prepared, and ready to deal with your hoodlums. So. They're excited, it's gonna be a good season. But yes, so be aware of what's going on. Check their Instagram to, to find out all further information, all right? Well, at this point, we're about to kick off a brand new series on Elisha. Before we do that though, why don't you go ahead and stand up and greet someone next to you?
you guys can grab a seat. We're going to continue on this morning. Hi, everybody. I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new to Journey, again, like Tyler said, welcome. If you're back from somewhere else, been away for a little while on your summer vacation or somewhere else, well, it's good to see you guys. I'm so excited we're here. I've been, um, last couple weeks, Tyler's been in, in the pulpit because I've been uh, prepping for the fall season. And typically in the summer, I try to take a few weeks off of the teaching so that I can focus on where we're headed and to really get kind of tuned in, get our team all organized around some of the key ideas. And so that's what I've been doing. I'll be sharing more about that in the coming weeks. But let me just tell you this as a little uh, a kind of a foretaste. This is a season we're going to be doing something really different. <clears throat> now, it's different in a really old kind of way. It's different in that we're going back to something that hasn't been done around Journey for a while. We're going to a combined midweek service for the fall. So we're going to be doing a Wednesday night, everybody together. So the adults in here, kids in their spaces, and youth across the way in their space. Uh, they'll be actually taking over the other elementary room over there. And here's the deal. We've been really, really just prayerfully trying to figure out how do we find what it is God's doing and step into it. We don't want to be a church that's all about seats, you know, you know, seats and seats. We don't want you to just line up in rows and just get, you know, nice Sunday service, nice little music and talk. We are after transformation. We don't care about how many people and all that if it's not being a, a true life transformation. It just doesn't matter to us. We feel like um, what our church needs right now is real connection, and we're going to just keep grinding away at that. We're going to figure this out, going to keep trying stuff. And um, by the way, I apologize for the air conditioning. We had it worked on this past week, and I thought we were good, but you're not. <laughs> I see this going on, so no, it's really not so good in here. So think cool thoughts. Send them this way. But what we're, what we're thinking is, and here's where we're at, is that we know in our complex world, how hard it is to truly connect. And we're more connected than ever through our internet, phone, all these things, but our relationships struggle. More depression than ever. More people on meds, more people struggling with addiction, all these things. So what we're saying is, we want to find a way to do this better together. So we're going to just encourage everybody who wants to really kind of figure out what it means to follow Jesus, to join us on Wednesday nights. The format is going to be some teaching. Um, it's going to be some prayer. And really what it's about is practicing the ways of Jesus. So we're going to be breaking that down. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be his disciple? What does it mean to be in his steps living his way. And that's what we're going to be working through in September, October, November, and uh, we break a little bit for the holiday, but we are going to be announcing more about that later. Just wanted to give you a heads up. That's coming in September. First Wednesday night of the month will be Connect, where we'll have everybody together just for fun, get to know each other, kind of more of a light. And then the, the rest of them, we're going to be having like the taco truck and everybody bring their dinner. We're going to have, you know, just kind of table time meals, and then we're going to get into the, the teaching and kind of life together stuff. So I'm really excited about it, and I've been prayerful for the last entire year about how do we move in this crazy, crazy generation, a whole group of diverse people in the same direction to know and follow Jesus. 
And so again, this, this isn't a cure-all. This is another way we're just taking the next step to see how we can uh, help serve you. So today, we're going into a brand new series. This is all about the life of Elijah, what we, uh, Elisha, I should say, what we do in the summer. We like to take, during one of the months, we like to take an Old Testament theme or character and just kind of break it down and look back at our history as the people of God, where we come from, what it meant to be a person uh, following God in their season, and then what are the takeaways? How do we grow in our own faith, in our own experience, in our own following of Jesus from their story? The guy we've picked is a guy named Elisha, and one of the reasons I picked Elisha is because Elisha is just such an ordinary guy that does such extraordinary things. And I just wanted so much to be that guy in my lifetime. I want to be a guy. Just, I know I'm a regular guy, okay, sometimes a little less than regular, a little abnormal at times, but I want to be used in a way that is actually giving God glory and makes a difference, really helps people. And this guy did it. I mean, what we find about Elisha, um, his is a journey of big faith. And if there's one thing I feel like I need and I want so much to be a part of our community, it's want us to be people of tremendous faith and seeing the unseen come to life. I know in a world like ours, um, people are just desperate for something that is real, something that's tangible. And so we want to experience that together. This is what we're going to be doing as we study Elisha. Now, a little background. Um, Elisha, he's trained under the great prophet Elijah. And in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about a little bit about his background, his story, and where he finds himself. But what he found is, we found is that he actually got to the place where he wanted to take, you know, God's call on his life, but he didn't want to do it without God's blessing on his life, without God, in other words, showing up and just kind of really confirming the job. So he asked for a double portion. We're going to discover a little bit about what it meant to do, be a miracle worker. Elisha was the largest, we have more recorded miracles of Elisha's story than anyone else in scripture except for Jesus. We find that he did some crazy things, raised dead people, purified poisoned food. I mean, there's just some really crazy stuff. We're going to study about it. And a little background is that we find that Elisha comes on the scene around the 9th century BC. Israel has gone through a time of division. So what happened? King Saul was the first king on the scene. And after King Saul, we have David and then his son Solomon and the kingdom's fracture. And we have, you know, the two different camps of the Israelites and they can't seem to get along. And now there are, there are all kinds of other things going on. They're beginning to worship. They've taken on the worship of the countries around them. One of the main systems of worship was Baal worship or Shemosh, which is basically um, a really wicked pagan worship where they would take their children and burn them in the fires to these gods in order to get blessings and prosperity. So God wants to, to totally interrupt what's going on in the people's mind, in the conscience of the country. And so he sends an, a, just an incredible person on the scene. But what's incredible is how ordinary he was. And again, I want to emphasize how ordinary he was because this is what gives me hope. He's so regular. What we find is he, he was given a huge responsibility. He had to counsel kings. He had to confront rulers. This is a normal guy who literally had to stand against armies by himself. He had to face incredible odds, work miracles, speak on behalf of God, and all that required big faith. So what's his background? 
This is what I love. Elisha was just a guy without any predecessor that we know of in his family as a prophet. He was a guy who was called to be a prophet. That had, his dad wasn't a prophet. His dad was a farmer. What we find, he didn't go to seminary. He wasn't a religious leader. We don't know much about him. He wasn't a monk or trained in miracles or anything like that. He was just an ordinary guy. Actually, he was living at home with his parents, working on the farm when God called him. Anybody relate? This is such a great story. First Kings chapter 19. We're going to break it down, and we're going to be in a couple verses here for today. And here's the first. So Elijah. Again, Elijah, greatest prophet that ever lived. Israel considered him the prophet. All right, Elijah is just wrapping up his ministry. So Elijah went from there, wherever he was, and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him, and Elisha then left his oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come and follow you. I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back, took his yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now, verse 19, Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Now, just so you kind of get this mindset, um, so I come from a few generations of farmers, farm families, and so my, uh, my dad was the one that took us off the farm. Uh, I'm not personally acquainted with oxen work, but I'm acquainted enough with farm animals and creatures to understand what this might have been. Can you picture, just put yourself in issues, this was his assignment. He was in, entrusted by dad. It said he was, he was over the 12 pairs. So in other words, there's 24 of these massive beasts. All right, and they each were yoked together. So two were yoked together. And then there would be a plow, this instrument of, you know, tearing up the earth was hooked behind them, and one person would kind of lead them through. And each of the fields, obviously, there was 12 of them going at once. So this was a big operation. This was a successful family. This was a, a family that had some means. Well, out of them, here's Elisha, the very last one. In other words, he's kind of overseeing the operation. He's got his two oxen, and he's making sure all the furrows are straight and all the rows are perfect, and he's the one that's making sure to clean up all the rest. And as he's going along, out of nowhere, somebody comes up behind him, kind of sneaks up on him. It's almost like there's a sneak attack. And the prophet, it said, puts his cloak around Elisha, who's plowing the field, and then just turns and walks away. This is kind of remarkable at first, but you think about what was going on in Elisha's mind. Because what I think was going on, perhaps, during this season, it's probably this. Plow the field, plow the field, plow the field. Oop, watch the poop. Plow the field, plow the field. And I'm thinking that what do you, when you're following a team of oxen, and you're within six feet of the rear ends of these oxen all day long, and, and literally sunrise to sunset was kind of the work, work day for these people. So what, first of all, what was he smelling? Yes, the residual of the oxen, because he was that close, and everything that passed through their bodies was ending up somewhere around his feet. 
and it was probably being broken up. And so all, all day long, he's having to walk through this mess, and the smell must have been pretty interesting. There he had, then not only that, but what is the view? Just picture what he had to see all day long. Ox rears all day long. These two big beasts right in front of him, and that was his sight. That was what he had to look at. And I'm just thinking about when you're, when you're walking behind oxen, the scenery doesn't change. What must it feel like to feel like you're just kind of, you're just yoked into something every single day that feels so pointless, so meaningless, so smelly, so like this could not be anything even ne remotely near what I was created for. You ever felt like that? You ever start out with a dream that's like, oh, I want to do something great with my life one day, and you find yourself <clears throat> literally, you're, you're anchored, you're yoked to a situation, a story, a, a a job, a career, a person, whatever, that you never dreamed you would be with, and it just feels so regular, ordinary, and not really even pretty. There's nothing romantic about it. It just feels so everyday. And some of you may feel like Elisha right now because you feel like <clears throat> whatever it is you're doing, you just don't see the significance of it. You don't see the purpose in it. You don't see like, oh, this is God's great plan for my life. It's just so everyday. And you, and you feel like all you do is stare at oxen rears, and that's all Elisha must have been feeling. Let me just be honest. Some of you are in sales. And what is the sales job of, anyway? Get people to buy stuff, potentially stuff they want, but it doesn't matter. It's stuff they need to buy because I have a quota to meet. So you're given a quota. You work your tail off. You meet your quota. Then what happens next month? New quota. If you do really good, guess what? The quota goes up. The better you are, the more they require and to the point where you reach that fatigue moment where it's like, I can't possibly read the qu meet the quota consistently. And they're like, okay, then that's where you need to be. That's where they set your cap, where it's at, pretty much at the failure point. Well, if you can't do any more, okay, we're going to take every single bit of your life and then we're going to let, you know, that's it. From now on, that's your quota. And you just feel like, all I do is I make my quota. Work, 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 make, and it starts over. Work, 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 starts over. And it's just like, what is this, really? Some of your students, and your college students, you're like, what I do is study, 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 work and pay the bills. Study, 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 work and pay the bills. Every day it seems like the same routine. Study, 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 work and pay the bills. And it just feels so monotonous. And you're just like, I cannot wait to be out of here. Or if you're a high school student, it's, it's like study, study, play games, and let mom and dad pay the bills. <laughs> just kidding. <clears throat> but just think about it. <clears throat> you're a parent of a small child or children, what is it? <laughs> Diapers, laundry, and formula. Diapers, laundry, formula. Diapers, and all day long, it's like dealing with this, and you're looking at, you know, baby rears, and it's like all day long, it just feels like, what is the point of my life? I got this degree, or I got this intention, I got this desire, I got this dream, and it just feels like my life is so stuck right here. And it's easy, it's incredibly easy to lose your passion for life, to lose the perspective that you have a significant part to play in the, in the story of God's world because you feel like it's just so ordinary. It's just so mundane, it's just so repetitive, it's just so mindless. You start feeling like a robot. Probably was somewhere around the time Elisha was found. But I want you to notice something. What we find Elisha doing when Elijah shows up, was being faithful in his present assignment. He was being faithful in his present mindless assignment. 
I mean, just, just for some of us, this may be really the one thing takeaway today is that it's important that what you do, you do well. And can I just tell you that as church people, as followers of Jesus, one of the great callings on our life is not necessarily to go out and preach and, you know, have a big stage and all that. One of the great callings on our life is to consistently live out our heartfelt belief and just in everyday work to put God first and to honor our employers with our words, our actions, and our deeds. Our, and, our, and our attitudes. We are, we are called to be God's representatives wherever we are. And I don't care if it's sales. I don't care if you're just the checker. I don't care if it is you're the owner, the boss, whatever your position. Right now, you are, everybody's waiting for one day. One day when I get through with this semester, then I'm going to totally sell, sell out and, and just serve God. I'm going to get back in. I'm church is when, when, just when summer's over, when this position is open, when this thing happens, when I move out of this role or when... Then I'm going to go all, I'm going to really work hard. I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to, I'm going to be honorable. I'm going to be full of integrity. I'm going to one day, and you just pass by day after day after day in the position you're in, less than your calling. One of the things I think that was set apart Elisha for this story was he was faithful in the small things. Because what I've learned is God loves to reward those who are faithful in the little things. God loves to reward people who are faithful in their present-day monotony. As a matter of fact, when you're faithful with a little, you can be trusted with much, Jesus taught. This is your story. This is my story. It often feels like what we're doing is not that great, but what you're doing matters, and it matters to the people God placed you near, and it matters to the character he's forming in you. So pay attention to the tensions of your life, the frustrations of your life, because God is using them. And shine incredibly bright where you are. Elisha, even though it was probably not his favorite thing to do, follow around oxen all day. Physically, emotionally, mentally exhausting. <clears throat> we find him faithful. <clears throat> In the middle of his routine, just doing what was everyday sort of stuff, that's when God jumped in and surprised him. Right in the middle of his regular job. In the end of verse 19, it says this, Elijah, great man of God, went up to him, threw his cloak around him, and turned and walked away. So, what is this cloak business? Well, in this particular generation, or this particular season of uh, ministry, this was, in fact, a skin of an animal, or a fur of an animal that they were using, and it was it had multiple purposes. For one, it was a covering in cold nights, and it was like their outer garment. It was also something they would use for a headrest or under them at, when they slept out on rocks and in difficult places, you know, where couldn't get any sleep. It was like their blanket. It was, it, but not only that, it was, it was a garment for, you know, it showed who they were to the community. So it, it was just a multi-purpose kind of thing. But more than that, to a prophet and to this particular prophet, that mantle represented his responsibility placed on him by God. The responsibility to represent God to humanity, to people, to Israel particularly. And this was his way of saying, I'm taking the load that I've been carrying. I'm taking the responsibility that I assumed when God called me. And I'm transferring it to you. It was a wordless but most meaningful thing. It was just the most powerful thing he could do. It's like, he's handing you the keys to the car. He's giving you, he's signing over his part of the business. He is 
actually entrusting you with the thing that he has spent his lifetime building. And this is a crazy, crazy responsibility. He's saying that, listen, the one who receives this mantle receives the responsibility to speak for God. The one who takes on this cloak is under my care, my protection, and my tutelage till my time is over. If you accept this mantle, you become what I was, God's spokesman to Israel and the world. What a responsibility. By the way, can I just tell you, it's not easy following a great leader. It's not easy following a great boss. It's not easy following a great person. Um, some of you, you know, you have discovered this. I, I just remember when I was a youth pastor, we had wrapped up our first season of ministry, first five, six years in Santa Barbara, and the, there was going through a pastoral church change, and so we just thought, man, this is the time we'd been receiving an opportunity to go back to our home church, and thought, you know what, this is like a good opportunity, the, the church is in transition, so we'll go ahead and move, we felt like God prompted us, so we went back to our home church, but here's what we discovered. From the moment I got there, all I heard was, Steve, 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 he was the former youth pastor, and he was deeply loved, and I was the intruder. I didn't ask him to leave. I didn't even ask for the job. But I was in the role, but because he was so deeply loved and he was a person that everybody kind of respected, it was like, oh, but Steve and Steve, and you don't do it like Steve, and Steve did this, and Steve would have done that. I'm like, I'm so sick of Steve. I don't even know the guy. But I'm like, this, this, this is like my older brother. All my life, it's like Steve was my older brother. I was like, why can't you be like Steve? Hey, your brother Steve was a straight-A student. I know, and I'm not. I'm just me. But this is sometimes, it's hard to follow a great leader. To be honest, this is why I fear for a lot of the great churches in our generation, some of the mega churches and those who are built with a really, really five-talent leader because next generation, we're going to find when they step out and, you know, they have to reform around a new leader. Man, in the pastor's world, we call that the sacrificial lamb, the guy who has to follow a great leader. Don't want to be that guy again. But so what we find is here's Elisha stepping into the mantle of the greatest prophet Israel ever knew. Talk about intimidating. So what does he do? First, Elisha accepts, and he basically says, okay, got to tell my folks, got to tidy up my business, be right back. Two principles of big faith I want to touch on today. First, you don't have to understand completely. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You don't have to understand completely. You don't have to know everything to step into what God is calling you to do. As a matter of fact, you probably won't. Here we find verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen, ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. And by, notice all the terms of respect. Let me kiss them. That was the Jewish way of, of welcoming and departing. And so he's like, I'm, I need to do the customary, the right. I need to do the honorable thing. I need to honor the people in my, and I love that. That tells us about his character. And then I'm going to come with you. Notice, Elisha didn't have to pray about it. Now, I'm not saying don't pray, but what I'm saying is this man was probably praying most of his life is behind that, please God, no more ox rears. Please God, no more poop. God, is there anything else I can do? Is there any other, I don't know what he was praying, but I'm just thinking that he, how many of us are like, well, let me pray about it for six months and then I'll get back to you. And we use it as a blanket, maybe. That's just, that's one way of putting everybody off and saying, well, maybe. You know, we don't just want to say, I'm not so sure, so, you know, I'm not really sure. I might have a better option, so, you know, let me. So we say, oh, let me pray about it. Great. And if you truly are, good on you. 
If you're not, shame on you. No lists of pros and cons. Hey, uh, you know, I got to go home. I'm going to get out my whiteboard. I'm going to put down all the pros and cons of following you and taking on the yoke and leaving dad's business. And no, hey, I got to go. I got to check with my therapist. <laughs> this is stressing me out. None of this. Hey, what is the salary package? What is the retirement? What are the pl- It was simply, what did I say to you? What have I done to you? Why are you, why are you stressing up? Because literally Elijah's like, hey, do you recognize what I'm doing? Because if you do, we don't need to have a conversation about all the other details. If you understand what I've just done, there's one response, yes or no. One response, in or out. And he's in. Just God, I trust you. I'm in. Instantly. I have people come to me, and, and I'll be honest, I've never been a great planner. I'm, I'm one of those kind of guys that's, uh, I'm a two. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Enneagram or any of those personality tests, but um, I'm a guy that loves variety and uniqueness, and I get up, I drive different ways to and from work. I want to have a different thing to eat. I just like, you know, I like things different. Some things in my life are like the same, but, but this is something that's like, what about this? I'm absolutely going to wreck your future kind of thing wouldn't disquiet you. I'm going to change the direction of everything. People come to me and they're like, hey, Dave, what's the five-year plan for the church? I'm like, you want another five-minute plan? We're good. No, and I, and I used to have a lot more time that I put into, you know, these fold-out maps and, you know, here we're going, here's kind of where we're at, and this is my thoughts. But I'll be honest, after this season that I've just been through, I'm, I'm a whole lot less worried about five years from now. And I'm really, really, really concerned about what's God saying right now to the church. And what is he doing in you? What is he doing in me? And how are we responding to that? When I get that part down, then I'm going to worry about what I'm going to do with the five-year plan. Right now, I'm saying, God, I've got a year plan. We, we've, got our, we've got our year mapped out, so don't stress. But what I'm saying is we need to leave room for when God speaks to say, all right, I'm in. We need to be pre Paired. That means in advance, paired. We need to be ready in advance for when God moves in some way and we are like, I'm in. I can do that. So that means for me as a person, as a father, I've had to create margin in my life so that there's room for when something unexpected bring, is brought up into my schedule. I've not always been good at that. But that means there's got to be margin in my finances when God prompts me, hey, help that person, feed that person, clothe that person, put them in a place, help them with their rent, whatever. I'm like, I'm in. Because what my preparations are makes me available to God whenever he should say, now. When my heart and my life are tuned in and I'm making space in my life and opportunity, when I'm like, God, I'm open to whatever you have to say and I'm actually living that way, it's fantastic and life-changing when God works and speaks and leads. That's when it's an adventure, and I'm like, oh, this is the best thing ever. When I'm stressed out, overworked, over, no time, no money, nothing left, no margin in my life, and God calls me, it's like, no, not another thing. That's why it's so important that you and I as Christ followers, we learn the rhythms of Jesus, how to live in those sustainable ways so we're ready and responsive. Again, that's where we're going in the fall. Matthew 6, 4. 34, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got, don't worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. So, hey, just tune into God's voice now. You want to live an active, big faith life, a life of impact? Here's this. Don't stress over the future. Respond immediately and obediently to what God says in the present. Don't stress over tomorrow. 
but be ready to respond immediately and obediently to today. I don't know if this resonates with anybody, but I believe that truly, um, if you're in a posture of readiness, if you're just all about whatever God says, I'm in. And if you decide ahead of time that what God says is probably best, and again, don't, I don't assume everybody's on the same page, but let me, just, let me just say, if it's true that every single molecule was dreamed up and placed in its present situation by God, if you believe that there's a God who created all this and there's intentionality to it all, if you know that your human body is just one small representation of his creative brilliance, that every system in your body that works perfectly with the other systems to keep you healthy and in harmony, and you can eat poison, just, you know, terrible, terrible food, be sick for a day, and your body just turns around and heals and comes back. I mean, there's, what my body just went through is a miracle. 70% of my liver shot gone from an infection that just ate it alive and then come back in a year later. It's like, hey, it looks like brand new. How does that happen? That's just, it's just incredible. And I'm just saying that this is the way God works. And if you look at that God and you look at that upper, and you look at the world around us, everything in its perfect balance, and you're like, if he could do that, like we sang earlier, if, if he's the God of all creation, do you think he knows enough about my story to direct me? The answer ahead of time is yes. And the funny thing is what I've learned about God is he often doesn't give me the map ahead of time. He often just gives me a word. And, and this is the way so many of you, God often doesn't give you all the plans laid out for you. You want a road map. You want a dialogue. You want all the questions answered. It's not going to happen. The Q&A list. You want details. God, I believe you if you would just tell me this and this and this. And God's like, you couldn't handle the details. You wouldn't, if I told you the truth, you'd run away. You can't handle the truth. That's why he only gives us enough for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about all those other things. Today, what's your answer? Today, what's your posture? Today, what's your heart? Today, what's your response? And he will often guide through one word. Think about it. God's directions often are intentionally vague throughout Scripture. What did God say to Abraham? Go. Go where? I'll tell you when when I want to go but go where go and as you're going it'll be more clear and that was it he told him to go what did he tell Moses go present yourself to Pharaoh go me but me and then of course there's a big argument go just one word and then he tells he, he tells Peter follow just follow and Peter, what does he do? It says he dropped his nets. He and his brother Andrew left their dad in the boat and followed. Later on, he's out, you know, the, the disciples are in a storm, and it's like this raging storm, and, and the Bible records that they're out there, and Jesus is somewhere else. Well, all of a sudden, here comes Jesus walking on the water, and Peter says, Lord, is that you? Please tell me it's you. I, I sure hope it's you. We're in big trouble if it's not you. But, and Jesus said, it's me. And he goes, well, then tell me to come to you. And Jesus says one word, come. That's generally, but wait, how do I do that? Do I like have special socks? I mean, are you going to like say something over me? You're going to wave. A, I mean, how do I get out? I mean, I'm not sure. The boat's going like this. How do I just, just come? God does not give us the full description of everything before he calls us. God is not going to give you the fine details. But let's just be honest. 
if he did, I don't know that it would make it any clearer. We still go, well, let me wrestle that down. Let me think about it. Let me talk about it. What is God asking you to trust him with today? <clears throat> what is it in your life? I'm not talking about Elisha. not talking about me or somebody else. <clears throat> what is it in your life that God is stretching you to trust him with? What area of your life are you holding back? God's desire is for us to walk in total trust, and that's the journey I've been on, just complete and total trust. That means trusting him even when we don't have the details, the answers, giving up control, even when we don't know what tomorrow brings. Trust. <clears throat> in fact, one day, Mother Teresa was working with a volunteer who had come for the summer. It was a college student who was trying to wrestle down the next part of his life. And he comes to Mother Teresa, and she said, how can I pray for you? And he goes, Mother Teresa, I've been having a great time out here helping serve the dying in Calcutta. But, I'm, you know, I just really don't know. I mean, I, 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 what I need for you to pray is for clarity. I just need God to make it clear. And she goes, I will not pray for clarity. It's like, what? Well, why not? I mean, it's obvious that you've had clarity about what you're doing. She said, I've never had clarity. The one thing I've had is trust. You don't need clarity. You need trust. I'm just saying that there are moments in our life where we don't need is more details. What we need is just, God, if I truly believe, I'm in. If you are who you say you are and this is all, I'm in. And let me just say, maybe God's asking you and maybe the one word response that you're thinking of right now, if you're in a marriage and it's really struggling and it's difficult and it's painful and, and maybe the word God is speaking to you today is just stay. Stay. You need to work through this. You need counseling. Yes, do all of that. I'm not talking about somebody who's abusing or, you know, damaging your child. I'm just saying, if God's prompting you, you're struggling, just working together, living, making life a happy marriage, stay. Maybe that's God's word. Maybe. What about this? Don't know if this church is the right one. You've been church shopping for a long time, and you just say, I don't know, this is wrong with this one, this is what's wrong with that one. They all have stuff that's wrong with them. <laughs> Welcome to humanity. You know, this is... It's people. It's just people, you know. So, hey, maybe the word for you is commit. Just commit. Man, pick a lane. Pick a lane, any lane, and just go there. Just do that. Just give yourself. Just surrender. Just sacrifice. Just become part of the life of a church and give everything you've got to that. There's an unhealth, uncertain health situation. Maybe the word for you is trust. No control. Trust. Maybe you're having trouble with your kids. Maybe the word is just faithful. Just remain faithful to do what you know to do. Just keep praying for him. Just seeking God. Just, just keep loving God and doing your best. Just be faithful. Maybe you're in a situation, you're in a bad dating relationship, and you've been, and you know that it's not the right situation for you. And, and maybe the one word is break up with the idiot. Sorry. Sorry. Is that more than one word? I don't know. My numbers have never been good with that. So... <clears throat> Some, some of you, it literally is, hey, you're going you gonna to make a decision here, or are you just going to hang out forever? I know it was, I've told you this before, but one of the struggles I had in my early you know, 20s was that um, Lori and I dated since we were like kids. We literally were high school sweethearts. Um, I went away to college, and then she came and went away to college with me, and then we were kind of coming to the end of the college years, and um, it was one of those decision times. And basically, we're reaching that final senior, senior year, and she's like, hey, listen, I've been with you for six years, plus the, you know, the not dating yet stage, so what are we doing? And it was one of those, you know, come to terms, you know, 
come to Jesus meetings, and basically it was like, hey, are, are we doing this or not? And I'm like, what do you mean? Typical guy. And he's like, are we going to get married or not? Because I'll tell you what, I've given you the six, six years of my life. That was not the word you thought. <laughs> six years? That I never got till, ma- till we were married. I swear, that was one thing that we held out till marriage. But... <clears throat> The fact is, we wanted to get there, but she said, we got to have this before we get that. So what's it going to be? No, it was like, seriously, six years. What are you going to do? I'll give you six months to make up your mind, and then I'm moving on because I am not going to waste the rest of my life waiting for you to decide. And it was, in fact, you know, just a few months later that I did, in fact. But I went to a pastor friend of mine. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. You know, we're like, I got to make my decision. It's like, come to that point, and, you know, we can't just keep you know, dating forever, and, and, she's, and, and he's like, yeah, you, you really need to commit. Um, she's committing her life to you. So I said, so what do I do? He goes, well, do you love her? I'm like, well, yeah, I love her. He goes, do you want to live without her? I'm like, well, no. He goes, do you see your future with her in it as better than without her in it? I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, well, then go on and kiss the girl. I mean, come on, what are you waiting for? He's like, then what are you, dis- what are you waiting for? Most of that decision is made as you go. I mean, you commit to it, and obviously you pray about it, you think about it, you do all the wrestling down of details, but once, after six years, if you don't know, are you ever, seriously? So come on, what are you going to do? And I'm telling you, it was the best decision I ever made in my life, but it was just quit wasting time and commit. Some of you, that's where you're at in your discovery with God. You've got, you've got enough information, and again, you're not going to know everything. You never will. You, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately, but the final thing is this. Those God uses most are those who hold on to the least. Those God uses most are those who hold on to the least. Verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back, took his yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them. Now, what is he slaughtering here? His income. <clears throat> his family inheritance. His future with this company, he slaughtered it. He burned the plowing equipment, took, took it to cook the meat, and gave it to the people. He doesn't even eat it himself. He's like, man, I've been following these guys. I'm going to eat every last piece of these guys. I'm so done here. He just he gives it to the people. They celebrate. They ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah, became his servant. Now, the slaughtered oxen was... Typical ceremonial sacrifice. It was a celebration. People would do these kinds of things when, when there was a major event that happened in their life to celebrate, to mark a special day, a certain experience. Um, so that was common. And scriptures, you know, we talked about the father whose son came home. They killed the fatted calf and all that. But here's a unique part. He took the plowing equipment <clears throat> and burned it. He burned it. And some of these people, that you, when you think about Elisha burns the plows, some people think, well, that was really irresponsible. What we find here is that Elisha is making a decision that there's no going back. Once I go through this door, once I, once I step into this mantle, there is no back door. There is no escape hatch. I'm burning the bridges behind me. I'm all in on this thing. And just like marriage, it's like, hey, once it's in that door, it's like there, every other option is shut down and permanently closed. I am in this. This is it. And it, it is the right person. Well, did you marry the right Well, of course it's the right person. It is. From now on, it is the right person. I don't care what you thought beforehand. This is the person I've committed to. It's all options sealed. This is the only one. 
burning all bridges, social media, every other con contact, every other person in my phone, every other person I once saw, dated, was interested in, no longer exists in the way this person exists. This is priority. Same with the kingdom. This is Elisha's turn where he's just like, I'm going to go all in or nothing. <clears throat> Disciples of Jesus, they drop their nets to follow Jesus all in. Our world desperately needs to see people who are like, I'm not just keeping my options open. I'm not just like, if this feels good this Sunday. I'm, I'm like, no, I've made a decision. I've done enough reading. I've done enough research. That this is where my faith is, and this is where my heart is, and this is, my, this is who I am. A couple things to keep in mind. First of all, before you do something really ridiculous, of course, be sure that you're getting God's input. Don't just go out and quit your job. Well, Pastor Dave, you said go, and I'm going. I don't know where, but I'm going. You know, no, just know when God is leading you. That takes time to learn the voice of God, to discover the promptings of God, and you do it in the smaller things, and then as the bigger things become more clear, it's like, man, I just, I just know because I've made a thousand small decisions on God's prompting, so I know when God's prompting, and I, I get it. It is one of those moments where we had this decision to make a handful of years back um, in our story as a church. I reached a point in, in my story as a pastor in a denomination um, that was really um, kind of my only story. I'd only known this denomination. I'd been with it since a, since a child, since birth. I'd literally grown up in this denomination, and I was... I was really deeply connected, had so many friends, all my story, even my theology, everything was linked to and anchored in this denomination. And to this day, I love and respect and feel the most akin to that, to anything. But I'm just saying that at this one point um, in my pastoring many years ago, when I was pastoring a church called Westview, there was Assemblies of God, that I was signing the documents, every had to sign every year that said, um, it is my firm belief that every single believer has, you know, the gift of speaking in tongues. And I'm like, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I haven't believed that for a while now. I believe all gifts are relevant for today. I believe that God gives us all these great gifts, but not, I don't believe everybody has that ability because I've known some really godly men who did not have that gift and they couldn't serve on boards because they didn't have that gift. And I'm like, I don't, I can't sign that. Put us in the dilemma. I had to go to the denomination heads and I said, listen, yeah, this church, you know, I'm pastoring, it's, it is this, this, this denomination, and yet I can't sign this document. Where are we? What does that mean? They said, well, you can't pastor that church if you can't sign that document. Lovingly, it was all gracious and it was all kind, and these are great and godly men, but it just reached the point where I'm like, so what do we do? Well, you have two options. You leave, go find another church, or, you know, you become a non-denominational church. And so we prayed and wrestled down and tried to figure out any other option. And finally, we just concluded that this was, in fact, the story of Journey, that we left Westview and we launched Journey Church out of that. And I've never looked back and I've been grateful. And again, no, nothing against the denomination, but it was just a point where it's like, either I'm, either I'm going to sign this with integrity or I'm not. And I can't. And I can no longer do what I'm doing, and that means there's a change coming, and that means it's going to cost me something, and it costs dearly. It costs us very dearly. But it's gained me more. It's gained us more. And again, I can only tell you that my personal feeling is that some of you are at a place in your life, <clears throat> you need to make a decision, you need to make a commitment, and God is prompting you. And it's an integrity thing, or it's a truth thing, or it's a belief thing, and you need to do that 
And it has nothing to do with other people's opinions because that will just bind you up. But you have to decide to step forward. Now, please hear this. To step towards your destiny, to step towards your destiny, you have to step away from your security many times. To step towards your destiny, many times you have to step away from your security. God's going to speak to somebody today, and it's time for you to move. It's time for you to change. It's time for you to step out. It's time for you to take that next step in whatever area of your life that he's prompted you. Jesus said, nobody puts their hand to the plow and looks back and is fit for the kingdom, for service in the kingdom. This was a direct play on this story in my mind. So what's keeping you from surrendering completely to God? What's keeping you from going all in? What's keeping you from saying, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to really discover what that means, and I'm going to commit my life to it. And again, not leaving your job. God puts you somewhere, probably for a very important reason for his work in that space. But let me just say, you have to decide at some point, and you need to move forward. What's keeping you back? Friends, relationships, habits, addictions, money, career, fame, all these things. As the band comes this morning, what is the word, the prompting that God is giving you in your story? Elisha said, I'm going to go whether I feel like I have all the details or not, and I'm going to sacrifice the things that mean something to me now so I can have the things that are obviously more important. How about you? Let me pray for you. God, as we close, there's so many things that there's just million details in this story that are just powerful and poignant, but I think... I think many of us just need to wrestle down this very, very concept of, can I follow you? Can I commit to obeying you without having all the details in spite of current circumstances? Oh, but when this season ends, when that thing happens, when God, I just pray that whoever it is you're speaking to today, they would feel that prompting like the beating of their own heart in their chest. They would sense that you're speaking to them, that it's time to decide that when you call, and whatever the call is, to a different thing, a different season, to a different career, to just stepping out and trusting you, that we're going to have to make a decision without full information, God, that we would learn to trust you. God, give us the faith we lack for this. God, and for those who are, they want to step out, but they can't let go of the thing they have now to have the thing that you promised. So I pray, Lord God, they they would just begin to trust you enough to move away from their security towards their destiny as they take your hand. With your heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment, just uh, between you and God, if there's a situation that you're kind of like wrestling with, something you need God's direction in, ask for it. Ask for wisdom, the Bible says. He'll give it. But not only ask, when you get prompted, move, go, do, commit. And if you're in the position right now where you're kind of like, I, I believe I want to make this step towards God and trust Him with my life. I don't know fully what that means, but I, I just feel very strongly that I need to let God know I'm in. I want to pray a prayer with you. And you can just kind of repeat in your own mind and heart this simple prayer. Just, God, I, I open my heart to you. I open my mind and my life, and, and I invite you to be my God. I'm I'm placing my trust in you, and it doesn't mean I know everything or understand everything, but what I do know, I'm comfortable saying, I'm in. I'm, I'm giving it all to you. I'm asking you to forgive my past and my sin, 
cover me with that incredible sacrifice of your blood. Build on Calvary, but then give me life as you place your spirit in me that I can follow you. And God, I pray that whoever's praying that prayer this morning would just feel alive as you come in and move in them and bring them back from the dead into spiritual life. God, let them hear your voice and promptings and let us be the church that responds. We're in. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, stand with me. We're going to sing one last song and let you guys get out to cooler weather. Let's worship together. You're bigger than I 
have an incredible Sunday. We're going to keep singing. You're welcome to stay, but you are also, we look forward to seeing you guys next week as we continue on our series on Elisha. In the Father's hands, leave the rest in the Father's hands. I will rest in the Father's hands. Oh, leave the rest in the Father's hands. I will. God. 